0: Yeah, did I mention that was the bottle that was on the shelf when Al started in
1: 1967?
0: Uh, Yeah, when we first started this project, we looked at some other retro bottles, like very retro, like Paul Jones bottles, and we kind of started heading in that direction. And then I forgot how this came up. I don't know if someone saw an ad. Um, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but someone had the idea, probably um, someone in marketing and it just kind of clicked. So we took it immediately to Al and we said, what do you think about this? he said, I love it.
1: Hey everyone, this week's episode was done at Whiskey Live during the Bourbon Affair. Big thanks to the folks at Four Roses and Whiskey Live for letting us capture this content and spread it to all of our listeners. In this podcast, Brent Elliott will be talking about all the individual bourbons that were made and blended into Al Young's 50th anniversary bottle that is getting ready to hit national distribution. We've had it here in Kentucky, and it's delicious. If you can find a bottle, grab it, because you will not regret this one. If you aren't following us on Facebook, you need to do it now. We're starting to publish unedited content from past shows, bloopers, footage from distilleries, and we even have a few giveaways lined up. And spoiler alert, one of them is a Michter's Barrelhead. And the only way you're gonna be able to get in on that action is to like our Facebook page, so go do it now. Also, we're looking for partnerships to help support and grow this show. Go to bourbonpursuit.com and hit the partnership button at the very top of the page to get an insight about advertising on this podcast. With that said, just another reminder to keep those iTunes reviews coming in. We've been reading them and we appreciate the few minutes that you've taken out of your day to do them. Enjoy this week's episode. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea.
0: Okay, I think we're ready. If we have any stragglers, we won't let them in. Um, <laughs> have their whiskey. That's right. So if there's an open spot next to you, <laughs> help us hold the door, and you can have it. <laughs> okay, anyway, thanks a lot for coming out, for choosing this. Um, now I see a lot of familiar faces. I've seen a lot, of even gotten to spend some time with you this week. To those of you, good to see you again. To those of you that I haven't met before, I'm Bryn Elliott. It's nice to meet you. I'm the master of silver at Four Roses. And I'm here tonight to talk to you about how we make these uh, limited edition small batches. And in particular, how we made Al Young's 50th anniversary small batch. And we'll deconstruct it a little bit. Now, a lot of times I'll talk about history and go into the whole Four Roses story. I think I'll just forego that tonight. But if you have any questions afterwards, I'll be glad to answer any questions you have about history or how we got to where we are today because it's a really exciting story. we have I'll talk about it a little bit. We've gone from when I started in 2005 to um, where we're selling just a few hundred cases in the United States, and our big markets were Japan and all of Europe. So the US market then was just a fraction of a percent of our total sales. In 2015, the US, the case sales in the US surpassed the Japanese case sales, and then last year, the case sales surpassed all the sales or the sales of all the European countries combined. So here in the US, we've just taken off. It's been an exciting time in many ways. There have been some challenges, but we've always tried to rise to meet those challenges of demand, and we've always maintained the quality, and we've always tried to do something exciting for the consumers, and that's what we do with these limited edition small batches. Now, every year, beginning in 2007, we we try to do something to sort of showcase what we do that's different. And what we do that's different that we always try to communicate to consumers is we create different recipes. When I say recipes, I mean, if you go to our warehouse and you pick a barrel, it is going to be one specific recipe out of the 10 that we produce. The way we do this is we have two distinctly different mash bills, both high rye mash bills. One happens to be very high, 35%. The other, still a high rye mash bill. We sometimes refer to it as the low rye mash bill, but it's still very high at 20%. So we have the two mash bills or grain recipes. You'll notice rye, we like rye. Rye gives a lot of spice, a lot of structure, a lot of nice mouthfeel. Some other distilleries use wheat, which is great, too. I like wheated bourbons. However, for our profile and our preference, we stick to rye. So we have the two mash bills, and then we have five different yeast strains. And this is very important because each one of these yeast strains that we use to inoculate one of those two mash bills creates uniquely different flavors through the fermentation. Now, all yeast is yeast. You know, whether you're fermenting beer, wine, cider, whatever it might be, the chief Reason you use the yeast is to produce alcohol, but and that's true. It produces they all produce alcohol. Probably half percent of what comes out of the fermentation is alcohol and CO two. But there's a small portion of these other compounds that we refer to as a, it's a blanket term, congeners. But these compounds include acids, aldehydes, esters, higher alcohols, and all of these different flavoring compounds create different flavors depending on which ones evolve at higher concentrations, the ratios, a lot of different factors. But to simplify things, I can tell you that the V yeast that we use creates delicate fruity flavors. K yeast, slightly spicy flavors. The O yeast, very rich fruity flavors. The F yeast, delicate, minty, herbal flavors. And the Q yeast, floral flavors and aromas. So two mash bills, five yeasts, we produce 10 recipes. And we've done this for years. Back when we were Seagram's, they did it for years. And they did it historically for, for consistency. Because we can do everything in our power to make consistent whiskey, but being a natural product, you know, we can't add colorings, we can't add flavorings, we can't do anything to adulterate the flavor. So to control that consistency, which, and because of Mother Nature, we can control it to a degree with our processes and how we how we monitor and, and produce it. But when you're dealing with grains, you're dealing with weather, you're dealing with different trees, you've got a lot of variables that create a little bit of mystery in what we do that keeps us guessing all the time. So the way we can kind of combat that and create a more consistent product is to have 10 recipes, 10 distinctly different flavors that we can mingle in different proportions to create the same bourbon time after time dump after dump, year after year. So that's why we did it in the past. We continue to do that for consistency, but now we can also use it when we come out with a new product, like we did in 2006 with a small batch. We went to the palette of recipes and we chose four. I'd like to say that I was, I worked there, but I don't know if I was the we in that that statement. I was kind of watching from the sidelines, you know, hoping to be involved. But so I got to witness it and that was pretty exciting because that was kind of like the same process that we do today for the limited editions, but I think a little more was at stake because it was a rollout of an actual product that was going to be on the shelves for, at least that we hoped would be on the shelves for years to come. But what we did there was went to four recipes. It's both mash bills, and then it utilizes the K yeast and the O yeast. So now the proof is different. The age is different on that versus the standard Four Roses bourbon or the single barrel, but there's a fundamental difference beyond that and that's the recipes that we use to go into it. So it's a little more fruity and it's a little spicier than the standard bourbon. The single barrel, that's one recipe and always the same recipe. It's the high rye mash bill with the V yeast, the delicate fruity yeast. So when you, whether you're trying the bourbon, the small batch or the single barrel, you're going to see those differences that are all attributable to the recipe that goes into it. Any questions about that? I don't know if I took a breath there. <laughs> but <laughs> so that's sort of the background about how we make our bourbons unique. So about 2005, 2006, people really start getting interested interested in bourbon. We start having guests to the distillery. People start asking questions, and we start telling them about the recipes. Inevitably, people would say, "Well, I'd like to try that fruity yeast. Or I'd like to try that floral yeast." So we would we would sample those. We'd give people the opportunity to taste those, and we kind of took it for granted because they were always there for us to taste and sample. But the more we offer this to, to consumers and guests, the more excited they seem to get. And that's that was kind of where the, the seeds were sown to to start the private barrel program, where, and I don't know if you're all aware of that, but it's a program where retailers can come in and select from up to all 10 of the recipes, depending on what we have in inventory. And they can select their own barrel of that recipe and we'll bottle it at barrel strength for them. So the seeds were sown for that. And also for... Um, something that was about to happen this was in 2007 for the release of our first limited edition product and that happened to be Jim Rutledge's 40th anniversary product and i think we did 1400 bottles didn't even know if we were going to sell them you know we'd sell 1400 bottles in 10 minutes now you know because bourbon is so popular now and four roses is is on the map people understand what we do and they appreciate it but at the time we were just sort of getting our feet under us in the US but Jim Rutledge had been with us for 40 years, and we wanted to do something, wanted to commemorate him, and in doing that, to kind of showcase what we could do as a distillery with the different recipes. So we released that product. I believe it was an OESO. It went very well. It was well-received. People, we got a lot of good feedback. We were excited to show the unique recipe. So the next year, we decided, well, let's do this and take it a step further. Let's do the same thing. Let's do a single-barrel. We didn't have anything to commemorate that year, so we just called it the 2008 Single Barrel. But it was the same concept as Jim's. It was one particular recipe. One, it was a single barrel, one batch. But then we also expanded it to a product that eventually evolved into the limited edition small batch, which is kind of the same format as this. But it was the Mariage. So we started that in 2008. Small batch bottle. The concept was take some of our nice, 10 plus year old aged batches and mingle them together, different recipes to create something truly unique from our standard products again to offer something good to the consumer and to show the consumer what we can do, how versatile we are and that's exactly what we did. Again, we did you know, 1,500, I can't remember exactly, it wasn't very many bottles. Then we did the same thing in 2009, another mariage. Then late 2009, too many people didn't know what mariage was, they were calling it Mirage and Marriage and marriage, So um, it was a little bit confusing, so we decided to kind of rebrand it a little bit. We changed the name to something that was really more indicative of what it is. It's a small batch. It's a limited edition small batch. So we changed the packaging a little bit for 2010, but it's the same concept, same product. Then in 2010, again, I think we we're up to about three, 4,000 bottles. Up to 2012, we we're still at 4,000 bottles. That's about the time that really... The uh, the consumers, you guys really started to, to pick up on you know our limited editions, other rare bottles from other distilleries, and people didn't get the bottle with four thousand bottles out there. We had we probably upset more people than we made happy because there were more than four thousand people by far that wanted one of these bottles. So the very next year we stepped it up to twelve thousand bottles, and that's about where we've been since then, and that's about the comfortable zone for us so that we can maintain quality, age, and, and the bottle count. So we've been doing that since, uh, and we're doing it again this fall. We'll have another limited release this fall, but this spring there was something special we wanted to do because many of you know this man, Al Young, our brand ambassador. He's currently our historian, senior brand ambassador. He's been distillery manager. He's, he's been about everywhere within the industry and about everywhere in the world promoting Four Roses. It's his 50th anniversary, so I said, we've got to do something special for him. So this is what we're going to taste tonight and deconstruct. Um, I'll talk just for a minute about how we generally produce or create one of these products, and then I'll walk you through these and tell you exactly how we develop this product. You can see all the different components and see how they play into the final product. So every year, usually about November or December. This is always the most fun thing I get to do every year. We uh, get about 20 to 25 batches of 10-year-old and plus bourbon from the warehouses and pull samples, bring them all into the lab, set them all up, and just start to work on this development. It's a long process. It's a lot of fun. And what we do is look at every one of those batches. And that's a lot of batches to go through, I'll tell you that. I mean, you can get familiar with them, but you can't really start making test blends with that many batches immediately. So what we like to do is whittle it down to maybe eight, eight to 10 of those batches, and then really get familiar with those batches. And this is a mistake I've made in the past was looking at those batches, getting real excited, and just started throwing things together, just seeing what would stick. Sometimes that works, but more cases than not, when you do that, you start getting down the path of the test blends and you don't know how you got to where you are because you weren't that familiar with the original batches. So you've got to build a strong foundation. You have to get so familiar with each one of those batches that when you start mingling them and you start seeing the results, you know why you're getting what you expected or why you're not getting what you expect. And you kind of back up and get to where you need to be. So the first step is to really get familiar with the eight to 10 batches. It's usually like one or two weeks doing that. Then while you're doing this, different ideas, your imagination starts to work. You might find a batch that you think would work as a great base batch, or you might find two batches that you think would really complement each other, or you find two batches that might, you, sometimes you get some crazy ideas, like these, these two are so rich, have so much volume, what would happen if you put these together? You know, how explosive would this combination be? Just a million different ideas start, start formulating, and then by the time you're really familiar with them all and you've got all these ideas, It's time to get down to business and start doing the test blends. And that's where you start mixing them together. Usually do about 12 to 15 test blends. And then mix them all up blindly, go through, sample. And at that point, it's usually two or three different directions that, or three to five maybe, directions that we're looking at. And then usually narrow it down to one or two directions. And then from those branches of the tree, we start willing it down again and again until... It's fine-tuned, and it usually comes down to a showdown between one or two batches. So that's the general approach that we take for these limited editions. Now, this year is really—that was kind of the idea behind it with a twist, though, because before this whole thing started, we went to Al Young, and he knew this was happening. He knew we were doing this. He's really excited. And he's been on the tasting panel before when he was the distillery manager 10 or so years ago and, and back, he was on the tasting panel. So he's familiar with bourbon. He's got a good palate. He knows what he likes. And I found that out real quick when I went to him and said, what would you like in this bourbon? He didn't miss a beat. He said, I want something older than we've used before. Maybe not. He said something old. And he said he wants something that's different, distinctly different from anything we've done before. It's like, okay, what? Actually, that was pretty clear. And I think... You know, without getting into berries and apricot and all that stuff, that was that was pretty clear and it's a pretty good direction because we have some older barrels and we know how to make something different because we have the 10 different recipes. So what we started with was um, when he said older, one thing jumped out immediately and that was the uh, OBSV 23-year-old. It was uh, 20 barrels or so we thought once we looked at them. I think we rejected three of them because they were a little bit outside what we wanted and one was totally empty, but we thought we had 20 barrels of this OBSV, so we thought, okay, we'll try to incorporate that, okay? I knew I was pretty familiar with that one, I knew exactly what it tasted like, and we'll get to that in a minute, but does anyone know about the, uh, remember the 17-year-old batch that we released in the gift shop only, or heard of that batch, or tried it, tried it back there? Well, that that was kind of an anomaly, that batch, it was an OBSV that I think the first time we used it was in the 2010 small batch. Then we used it 2012, then 2013, and we would have kept using it again and again and again, but damn thing about bourbon industry is you run out of barrels. So, but we did have a couple left and we used them for the, um, for the gift shop grand opening. And it was a fantastic batch. It had a lot of really unique, almost berry-like fruitiness, very, coat your mouth, very complex. And this batch, this 23 year old that we really couldn't find a place for has those characteristics. And hopefully you'll see that when we taste it here in a minute. But so that was the immediate um, front runner to, to satisfy the older requirement that Al was hoping for. So pulled that one into the party and then started looking at the rest of the batches. And then when I heard, let's do something different, um, I knew Al liked F yeast. So I was like, okay, why don't we pull an F I think a couple test blends with Q, but F was the kind of the go-to. So let's do something different with the F, kind of like we did in 14. And then beyond that, it's like, okay, we'll need a couple of sort of the meat and potatoes, the base bourbons here that aren't going to detract from the direction of these other two. Because you start trying to go in too many directions, it becomes a mess. So I was trying to look for a couple batches that were really just kind of middle of the road, just elegant and... And wouldn't detract; would only help uplift or mute maybe some of the wood in the twenty-three-year-old. So that was sort of the the mindset. There was that that was sort of the game plan, and that's more or less what ended up happening. And I think you'll see that when we go through these. But are you guys ready for me to uh, to allow you to drink? I know, I've seen a couple of cheaters over here, <laughs> but. We're all friends here though. <laughs> if it were the first, if it were the beginning of the week though, you'd <laughs> we'd put you on a list. Well, <laughs> how about this? Let, let's do this, if you don't mind. Before we start, there's enough in here, I think, of owls. Just take a little sip sip of owls first to get an idea of the final product.
1: If you're anything like me, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon.
0: guys kind of let that soak in, get a good idea of, of the characteristics there. I'm not really big on putting tasting notes into people's minds or to to Styria, but complex, I'll I'll at least say that right now. It's very complex. One thing I've noticed about this one is if someone suggests a flavor, you can almost find it in there. There's a lot going on. Great finish, it's great, it's mellow, no burn. But hopefully when we go through these four batches that went into it, you can kind of see how each one of these components contributed to the final flavor. And I'll warn you, in a lot of ways you can see it, but I think this is one of those occasions where the sum is, in some ways, greater than the parts. It's it's just so well-balanced that it just all melts together very, very nicely. So first, I guess, let's kind of work backwards, kind of the way way we did. We knew we were going to use the older, the OBSV. So this is the 23-year-old. And I can see there's... This is almost, you can divide this into two parts. There's the high end that has all the rich, syrupy, berry-like fruitiness, very complex, very nice. But there's there's another, there's a double edge on this one. There's also that oak. It's a little bit heavy, a little stringent. <laughs> a little stringent, but but it's fantastic. It has it has good attributes and some that you know I personally think are a little it's a little too oaky, part of it. So Looking at this, it's like, well, what we need to do here is find some way to find the right percentage so that we enhance the fruit and sort of subdue the oak. Now, we knew with the number of barrels that we had that we could play with the percentage up to probably about 18%, 15 to 20%. So we tried different percentages. What we ended up with was 5%. In the actual dump, it ended up being six, it was close enough, fortunately. So I think the next, well, we were looking at a lot. I'm I'm simplifying the process. But let's say for simplicity term, then we started looking for a batch that would come in with some other high notes that would mingle with the high distinctive berry fruity notes on that one to create something unique, which is what Al was asking for. So OBSF, let's, let's jump back to that sample, the very first sample. And for those of you that are familiar with our FE strain, This is a really good example of a very good F. It's got the mint, kind of wintergreen herbal. It really coats the palate nicely. So this one was brought in, again, at different levels to see how it would interact with that 23-year-old to build the complexity kind of on the top end. So then, and this is the same with this year as every year, there kind of needs to be the middle batch, sort of the... The no thorns, no nothing sticking out. It's not too fancy, not too flashy. It's just absolutely elegant. And the perfect batch for that was the OESV. It's the second one. And now that I've got that OBSF was twelve years. this OESV is thirteen. <laughs> it's the smoothest one here, okay. I won't even look at who I was looking. At. I don't want to embarrass anybody. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, coughing? What do you...
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah. This one, what this one brought to the blend was a smoothness. The other two, they're smooth. Very good assumption. This one's 50%. The target was 50, it ended up being 49. So, and that's, that's what we ended up with. We tried a lot of different different levels. But I knew from the start this one was gonna be pretty high because it is so smooth from the beginning to the end. So it's, uh, I I hate to say, I guess, middle of the road. I think elegant's the best word for it. It's it's kind of representative of a lot of the uh, small batches we've done, like the 15 and the 13, that are more, they come in evenly on the palate, they stay even, and they just fade slowly. There's nothing that jumps out that's overly fruity or overly spicy, it's just nice and even. And that's exactly what this batch is. And then kind of the surprise batch. And this happens from time to time. When I sit up here and I talk on and on about how K yeast is spicy or the V yeast is fruity. And it happens a lot with the K yeast because I'll sit here with a group and I'll talk about how spicy the K yeast is. And then we take a drink of it and it turns out it's really fruity. And I look like a liar. But it, now with these batches, because these batches are hand-selected for um, for their uniqueness and because they're aging well, sometimes these batches kind of these are the ones that kind of bend the rules or step outside of bounds. And this is a really good example of that. This is a K yeast, and there's absolutely spice in there. But if you taste it, there's a whole lot of nice fruit. These are all single barrel samples. And these are actual barrels that did go into the the blend that's a great question for for the um the initial like first couple rounds it is single barrels and then once we get closer to where we need to be we break it down to tier because at all of our our warehouses are single story, so there's not much variation up to say eight, nine years and even beyond, but you get out to 12, 15, 23 years, you're gonna see some difference between the first tier and the fifth or sixth tier. So we start to look then at pulling samples from the exact tiers that we think we're going to use for the release, but it's still single barrels. Um, Well, no, that's not actually true. Sometimes it'll be a blend. if we know we're gonna use first and second tier, and and a lot of these was just one tier, but if we know we're gonna use a one and a two tier or three and a four tier, we mingle those together. And those represent that batch in the test blends and the next step we actually go through and approve every single barrel of each on each one of those tiers that's going to be used and that's when we create the preview samples for the writers that we send out because we want that to be as exact to this as possible and in that way it really is because say we dump 100 barrels when we make that test blend to send out we take those exact 100 barrels that we're going to use and make it up in the lab. So that's a good question. It's And it's always different for every product. And it's you kind of play it by ear. With with some experience, you know what products need to be sampled, which way and treated in this way. So with this, a lot of care goes into this one or any of the small batches. So we really put a lot of thought into how we sample and, and do the test plans, so there aren't any surprises. Well, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of surprises, like, and with experience, in 2009 when we did the Eyes, there was a 19-year-old in there that was at 10% in the formula. And everything we do on the bottling side or the dumping side is calculated by a program. So we make the formula, and we do this for every product. We say we need you know this percentage of these batches, this percentage of these batches. And they punch it in, and it says, okay, because of the age, you need this many barrels to reach this many gallons to bottle this many bottles. So for that product, that's exactly how they did it. The problem is the system isn't used to dumping 19-year-old barrels. All the evaporation factors hold pretty true up to like 8, 9, 10 years, where most of our other products are. But you go out that far, those factors are way off. Because it's a steep evaporation curve, you know, the first— four, five, six years, and it starts to taper off. So based on that calculation, those barrels should have been empty or they're going to be empty in like two years. In reality, because the curve is more like that, there was still plenty in those barrels. So the program told us to dump, let's say, 20 barrels. We end up getting 20% in that formula. Now, this is a formula that we'd gone back and forth with for, you know, six, six eight weeks to get exactly right, you know, going back and forth on, you know, 10%, 12%, 8%, and then we hit a button and it says, forget all you did, it's 20%. And so it was kind of one of those whoops moments. You know, I, I remember calling Jim to tell him about it. It's like, you know, twenty. Uh, <laughs> it ended up being, a, it was a happy ending mostly. I think everyone liked it. It was a little bit oaky, um, but it wasn't, it was still Okay. That batch was, it was 19 years old, it was not overly oaky, so it wasn't what exactly what we planned, but it still ended up just fine. But again, that's sort of one of the, the learning experiences that you, you get over time. But this OBSK, so we started throwing these all together, this was kind of a bonus because it has that extra fruitiness and a lot of sweetness and a lot of richness. So this and the OESV kind of came together to really lift up the middle and give it richness, depth, sweetness, but this, uh, this K actually, ironically, contributed more fruitiness than the OESV, and that kind of mingles in with the fruitiness from the OBSV and the OESF. And then, if you have any left, it brings us full circle back to Al's 50th. 107.6 proof, I believe. Yes, 107.6. And I don't want you to shoot it, but since we all have it in our hands, I just like to say Cheers. <laughs> More than the sum of the parts, or can you see some of the different components in there? I was having a conversation with someone earlier, and I said it was one of those that, you know, when, when we finished, I think Al and I looked, stood back, and didn't know how much of it was skill and how much was luck because everything just came together and balanced so well. Any comments? When will you not be able to buy it? I don't understand. <laughs> it will be released at the distillery Monday uh-huh. at the distillery and the warehouse facility and the gift shops there are open at nine it's one of those I know people start coming earlier and earlier every year but last year I think people started lining up about 2 3 a.m oh it will yes yeah we're we're targeting. It's 10,000 some odd bottles, which is actually, if you look at for the limited releases we've done in the past, we always do, not always, but we usually do U.S., some to Japan, and some to Europe. So if you look at the breakdown, historically, this product will offer more to the U.S. market than anything we've done, any limited edition in the past. The next was the Elliott Select, which was only in the U.S., Now that was 10,200 bottles. I think we have more than that for this one, so it might be a little easier to find than the standard sing- or small batches. But I always tell everyone, you know, you got to have a guy. You know, the guy at the liquor store that that you talk to that that knows that ha- your appreciation and appreciates you as a as a consumer. You don't have that guy. I think honestly there will probably be more people than bottles, but hopefully not. Hopefully we'll have enough but we get surprised every year. Yeah, did I mention that was the bottle that was on the shelf when Al started in 1967? Uh, Yeah, when we first started this project, we looked at some other retro bottles, like very retro, like Paul Jones bottles, and we kind of started heading in that direction. And then I forgot how this came up. I don't know if someone saw an ad. Um, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but someone had the idea, probably... Um, someone in marketing, and and it just kind of clicked. So we took it immediately to Al, and we said, "What do you think about this?" And he said, "I love it." So it's been fun. I mean, work. This is just the one, one, yeah. But we developed this from scratch. Well, we had an old bottle. We took that to the manufacturer. They put it in uh, some laser analysis machine. <laughs> so uh, you know, something from like the Terminator. They they got a three D image of it. And the only difference was, if you look at the original bottle, the glass is really thin. It doesn't have a base like that. Up here, the glass is thinner. So if we follow that exactly, the volume wouldn't be right. So what we had to do was make it just a little bit deeper, just because the glass quality on this was a lot higher than the original. So that's kind of how we came up with the design. But that's exactly what was on the shelf in 1967, when Al started with the company. That was a blended whiskey then, so if you see a bottle like that, it's not going to be anything like this, but except for the design. So any questions whatsoever? Ready to get back to the show? Enjoy some good bourbons and whiskeys and whiskeys. Okay, well, I'd like to thank you all so much for coming out. Enjoy the rest of the show, and cheers. Cheers.